After the Afghan Taliban overthrew the Afghanistan government on August 15th of 2021, hundreds of thousands of Afghans fled the country fearing for their lives under this new regime. Since that time, at least 90,000 Afghans have resettled here in the United States. On August 2nd of 2021, the Department of State announced the Afghan P2 program as a pathway to resettlement for qualified Afghans, including those who have worked with the U.S. government and U.S.-based media organizations and non-governmental organizations, or NGOs. Today, we're going to talk about a group that is working to help settle or resettle some of those Afghan refugees in the Hudson Valley area. Welcome to We the Voters, a podcast for voters about the issues that matter most to them. I'm your host, Francine Dash. And joining me today is Harv Hillowitz, the founder of Afghan Circle of the Hudson Valley. He's here to talk about his organization and how his organization is helping Afghan refugees to navigate their pathway to resettlement here in America, specifically in his home community in the Hudson Valley. Harv, welcome to this important discussion. Well, good morning, Ms. Dash. Thank you very much for having me. It's greatly appreciated. Before we go too far into our discussion, I would love to learn more about you and how you got started in the work that you currently do. Well, like many Americans, I followed what was going on in Afghanistan, uh, the uh, American-Afghan War of 20 years, which was preceded by uh, another 20 years or so of warfare in Afghanistan uh, by the Soviet Union. So I was well aware that the country by uh, 2021 was completely devastated and was in the midst of a horrible civil war. Mm -hmm. uh, when the Taliban started to take over the country uh, province by province in 2021, that certainly alerted me to the humanitarian crisis going on there. And then with the collapse of Kabul, the capital, uh, I, I also, like many Americans, became aware of the uh, vast refugee crisis where people were trying to escape to uh, to other countries in that region, uh, were getting, you know, trying to stuff themselves into the uh, U.S. Air Force planes that were uh, getting out of that airport yeah. uh, and that, that whole debacle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Following mm -hmm. that, uh, in the next couple of months, in the fall of uh, 2021, I heard that there were like 50,000 Afghan refugees living on military bases in the United States, just basically plopped down there by our military, and they were living in tents and barracks, and that was a very cold autumn, and then going into the winter, uh, and... Uh, what I learned was that uh, previously, families would come in from around the world, refugee families would come in from around the world, basically one family at a time, and be placed by resettlement agencies, one family at a time across the country. But to get this deluge, this tidal wave right. of 50,000 right. refugees in a matter of a week or two, right. uh, yeah. the country couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. So we put them on refugee bases, uh, sorry, um, military bases. Mm 
Mm-hmm. What I also discovered was that the previous uh, presidential administration before Biden uh, had completely dismantled, intentionally dismantled the the refugee agencies and defunded them <clears throat> in their effort to make an issue out of the refugee crisis at our southern border. Mm. This completely impeded uh, the the uh, existing refugee resettlement agencies in the country to uh, resettle uh, the Afghan refugees that were coming in. So it was it was quite a uh, a crisis, <clears throat> quite quite a double whammy, <clears throat> so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found I found myself of of Christmas time, 2021, really worrying and wondering about those uh, 50,000 Afghans. Mm-hmm. I then reached out on my own to some of these resettlement agencies in the United States to find out how I might be able to help. Uh, some of those agencies were like uh, an organization called HIAS, which is an acronym. H-I-A-S, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. They've been around since the 1880s. Uh, The Red Cross, Church World Services is another one, International Rescue Committee, uh, the Lutheran Organization. These are all resettlement groups that were trying to get the 50,000 Afghans off of the uh, military bases and into communities to alleviate this humanitarian crisis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At that time, I also discovered that there were Afghans who came into America, but did not come in through the military bases. Right, right. And the the Afghan refugees who came in through the military bases uh, were vaccinated for COVID. They were vetted. Uh, They were uh, given all kinds of benefits uh, to come into the country when a resettlement organization picked them up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each each person got like $2,300 per person. Uh, They were given a uh, very important piece of paper called humanitarian parole. Humanitarian, well, what is the humanitarian parole paper? Humanitarian parole is essentially a uh, quasi visa status. Okay. That allowed Afghans at that time to uh, to legally come into the country from the military bases into American communities. They were also given a Medicaid card uh, so they could get health benefits. And many of them, most of them got a social security card and a work permit. So when they got off the bases, if they were resettled, by an immigration resettlement organization, they could work. But that only but, worked for those coming through the military bases. That's right. Okay. That's right. Now I discovered there were another at least 10,000 Afghan refugees that came in through other ways. Now, how did they do that? Well, frankly, most of them had money and they were able to escape Afghanistan mm-hmm. and get into neighboring countries. They got into uh, Pakistan, they got into Iran, Mm -hmm. they they flew to the Middle East, they got to Europe, and from there, 
They couldn't fly directly to America on an Afghan passport, but many of them got into Canada, and most of them actually flew to Mexico. Wow. Why Mexico? Why was Mexico the destination choice? Mexico announced that they were giving 30-day visas for Afghan refugees so that they could stay in Mexico, and if they chose to, then stay on a long-term permit to stay in Mexico and perhaps even eventually become uh, Mexican citizens. Okay. So they were allowed to come into Mexico, but how do you get from Mexico to the United States? So I learned about this from a colleague of mine who explained that many of these Afghan refugees who were now stranded in northern Mexico, many of them not far from the San Diego uh, uh, Tijuana border, Mm -hmm. they were paying coyotes they were paying human traffickers to smuggle them over the border in 2020, the end of 2021, beginning of 2022. And these folks had no benefits, no no legal uh, entry into the United States. Mm -hmm. And most of them no longer had any money because they used every last dollar they had and their jewelry and anything they were carrying to pay the coyotes and to get over the border uh, into California. Uh, I learned about this and I thought, wow, these folks really need help. The the Afghans on the military bases in America, uh, they had a path to get resettled, but the other at least 10,000 Afghan refugees mm-hmm. did not have a path. So I, uh, I decided, that time, that mm-hmm. that Christmas year, mm-hmm. uh, that I would do something to try to help. Is that when you decided, because it's one thing to be a concerned American, and you're right, a lot of Americans were watching with a great deal of interest and empathy, but to go from concern to where you are, where you actually created an organization, why did you create your organization? And what is specifically is your group doing to meet the needs of those refugees that you mentioned? I I guess in a way, um, I could be called an activist. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's important to have concern, but -hmm. it's really important to do some direct action, to do something. And these people were definitely in trouble. Uh, I also have a background uh, where uh, I have, uh, you know, I am the uh, descendant of refugees and immigrants. Um, so I, ha- I have, you know, my, uh, my ancestry is that of refugees mm-hmm. uh, who escaped from Europe in the 1880s, uh, 140 years ago. And that's deeply embedded uh, memory in my family. Mm-hmm. So I decided these refugees, even though they're Afghans and they're different from me, uh, they needed help. So I, I learned about a model of assisting uh, Afghan refugees and any refugees from any country. And those are are called welcome circles. And anybody can start a welcome circle. I learned that um, there were a number of refugee resettlement agencies and entities 
that were giving training at the time, and some still do, about how to start a welcome circle or a, sometimes they're called a sponsorship circle, how mm -hmm. to take in refugees, could be from anywhere, okay. not just Afghanistan, and take them in basically one family at a time. But I learned that um, I needed training. I needed other people to help me, volunteers, because it literally takes a village. It takes a jirga, that's the term in, uh, in Afghan, uh, to resettle a family. One person cannot possibly do this and shouldn't do this. So what I did was I started writing letters to the editor through mm -hmm. the local media in our Hudson Valley uh, in New York. And uh, lo and behold, I got responses from some other people, mostly retirees, but not all. Right. Uh, some people that actually had Peace, Peace Corps experience in Afghanistan 40 plus years ago. Other people who were uh, teachers, librarians, uh, ESL teachers, social workers, uh, and uh, also uh, bankers, business people, people in the nonprofit world who said, hey, we want to help. How do we do this? So I put together this entity called the Afghan Circle of the Hudson Valley. The next thing that I did was I realized this took money because none of the Afghans were going to get any kind of benefits from federal, state, or local, and they would have to be supported by my circle. Mm, so okay. right. uh, in the midst of getting training, and uh, I and the rest of about 20 other hardy volunteers received training from two entities from HIAS, which I mentioned, and another group called IRIS, I-R-I-S, which is a resettlement organization in Connecticut, and also another uh, entity called the uh, Westchester Jewish Immigration Coalition uh, in Westchester County in New York. They trained us, and uh, I got a lot of help from the United Way of Ulster County. Now, there are United Ways all across the country. Right, there are. The United Way of Ulster County decided to act as a fiscal sponsor for my entity, for the Afghan Circle of the Hudson Valley, so that we could take in uh, donations. Right, right. So they would take the donations for you. So any well-meaning people who want to donate can then donate tax-deductible dollars to your organization and knows that it would go directly to servicing the people you're helping. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it was really important that people did not send money to Harv Hillowitz uh, <laughs> and that there would be any kind of, uh, you know, uh, fiscal irresponsibility or commingling of funds. This exactly. is really important. So right. having the United Way as our fiscal angel, as our fiscal sponsor, and some organizations charge for that, uh, for that, for that, uh, uh, for that service. They choose a percentage, right? Yeah. They they take a percentage, and it takes a lot of effort on their part because it you have to go through uh, tax regulations and get audited. The United Way of Ulster County did this for free uh, yeah. as their form of uh, TLC and love. 
for for us and what we were doing. And this really helped because it gave us uh, some veritas. It gave us some reality so that people could feel, oh, I'm, I'm not just giving to this one guy I don't know and this organization I never heard of. I'm giving to the United Way. The United Way would act as a pass-through mm-hmm. to the Afghan circle of the Hudson Valley. I also had a volunteer create a website for us, which still exists, right. and uh, which is the portal so that people could find out about what we're doing, about reading news about us, and a portal for donations. We'll go ahead and link that website as well to the show so that people can learn more about your organization offline, certainly. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, th- then uh, we started having Zoom meetings, uh, the circle, <clears throat> all 20 of us. And we we decided, well, okay, the families that we heard about, we heard about a couple of specific Afghan families that have been stranded in Southern California. Some of them had been detained by ICE, the immigration uh, wing of the United States government. Right. They were in horrible conditions uh, and they had to report. They were then released by ICE when they got over the border. They then were given uh, basically a court uh, date, court dates to show up in court to, uh, you know, show up at these ICE courts around the country where they had to prove that they were staying in the United States and that they would behave themselves and be, you know, good people here. So did they receive anything that could be likened to the humanitarian parole or humanity? What is it? The humanity parole? Humanitarian parole. Humanitarian parole. That they, did not. they did not. They, they okay. did not. They did not. They're they're essentially undocumented immigrants, undocumented refugees. All they had was a piece of paper that said they have to report to an ICE hearing, some of them in Buffalo, New York, some of them in Washington, D.C., some of them in Sacramento, some of them in New York City. Meanwhile, they were stranded in Southern California with no money. Well, we were we were able to raise money for them to get them into our area, to get them into the Hudson Valley by plane. Mm-hmm. We picked two families, two Afghan refugee families up at the airport who we had identified as specifically needing assistance mm-hmm. as they had to escape from the Taliban because, because one family had in it a uh, a woman doctor who was being hunted house by house by the Taliban and basically told she was going to be killed when they caught her. The other family had a business run by a woman. So they had to escape the Taliban. So we identified them as especially needing assistance. We brought them to the Hudson Valley region uh, and we started raising money. So we met them at the airport and the biggest challenge was housing. Now there's a housing crisis for everybody across the United States. Right, right. And there's a huge homeless situation. So we didn't want these folks to come here and then end up being homeless. So at great cost, uh, we were able to find two houses for them to live in. And these are pretty large families because Afghan families are extended families. Mm-hmm. We were able to uh, negotiate with landlords and uh, vet these people 
and take responsibility for them with the landlords uh, and get them housing. And then what did we have to do? Well, we had to do almost everything. We had to get them food, clothing, furniture, uh, vaccinations, medical health insurance. Now, how are you we able to do this money. Without, well, how are you able to do this without them having an identification? Did any step along the way were they able to get IDs so that they can receive more services more easily? Or how was that overcome? It, it was only overcome by pushing and by perseverance. Uh, we were we were literally not able to get any benefits for at least the first six to eight months. And then we got minimal benefits from our county, social service, Department of Social Service benefits toward their rent. But it was really minimal. I the, biggest, the biggest crisis we learned uh, was that because they didn't have uh, any kind of humanitarian parole status, they didn't have a visa, they didn't have a uh, social security card or work permit, they couldn't legally work. So how could they get money? So this was this became a big issue. So we had to support them for all of these months until they could start finding their way and get gig work. Also, they have um, limited knowledge of English, especially written English. Uh, there was one family that had a young lady who was a school child. We had to enroll her in school in the middle of the school year. And the school officials gave us a very hard time because they really? couldn't read. Yeah, because they couldn't read her paperwork from Afghanistan. Okay. And they, they didn't know her vaccination record. Gotcha. And her birth certificate is written in Farsi and Dari, which are the languages of Afghanistan. So we there was no one around who could translate that for them. Well, miraculously, somebody in our town is a Dari expert. It's a miracle that this happened. It's a it's a needle in a haystack. He and his wife joined our circle and became our translator. Thank goodness, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, and miraculously uh, really helped uh, solve a lot of problems. Uh, we also found people that would help them with English uh, tutoring uh, and that and that kind of thing. We also found that we wanted to give them recreational uh, uh, possibilities. So some folks took the ladies to some dance classes so that they could feel at home and learn. Uh, you know, learn American culture a little bit and also have some fun. Right, right. The refugees are under tremendous trauma. And the training that we got from HIAS, from IRIS, from the Westchester Jewish Coalition really helped and is absolutely necessary. We learned that, um, you know, all refugees have amazing trauma. The Afghan refugees especially have trauma. They've been involved in 30, 40 years of war, horrific civil war. Right, right. They left their families, their houses, their homes, their jobs, their friends, their pets, their culture, their food, their language, everything, literally with the shirts on their back overnight 
they they end up in this Western culture. They they had some idea. The folks that we were helping uh, had been somewhat Westernized compared to most Afghans. Uh, these people were not exactly sheep herders. However, still their their whole frame of reference is uh, 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 is Islam and very very tribal uh, and very uh, third world, if you if you if you may. You know, so, so often we forget when we talk about refugees from any country really coming here, we forget to discuss the effects that trauma or latent trauma may continue to have on them as they try to resettle and and go through all the challenges that you mentioned, learning a new language, learning a new culture, learning how to assimilate, finding uh, their way so that they can get started on their lives and be become productive again, you know. Yeah, and, and our families were especially traumatized because they left family members behind. Wow. Family members of theirs that they know of have been caught in Afghanistan, the ongoing oppression of the Taliban. Some mm -hmm. of them uh, are, are stranded in Pakistan. Some of them are stranded uh, in uh, some of the countries in the Middle East trying to get here to be reunited. So the trauma doesn't just go away right. when they when they came into our uh you know warm embrace uh it's it's still existing because they're missing their loved ones and just just trying to get around so they they came here they find themselves in the lovely Hudson Valley region which is like Kingston New York New Paltz Woodstock uh lovely area but they they can't get around because they don't they can't drive. You have to have a car in that area though. That's oh, the absolutely. There's literally no mass transit. Right, right. Uh, so so they we we were able to get cars for them. Somebody donated a car. We were able to buy two other vehicles for them. And the then the hard part was getting them to pass the learner's permit getting them to pass the driver's test all you know in english so we had to get translated uh uh, uh vehicle permit uh booklets and you know and everything so uh our the afghan circle of the hudson valley really worked hard for over a year and now the families are they're driving uh to their jobs etc cetera, etc cetera. They've uh, they've been, I think, uh, on many levels, successfully uh, resettled. Uh, now they're striving for independence. We've come a long way. They've been here uh, about a year and a half already. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still a lot of things to overcome. I'm happy to report that uh, just two weeks ago, one of our families did finally get uh, work permits and social security cards. Oh, that's excellent. So that they can they can work. We also months ago established bank accounts with a very uh, humanitarian bank locally that understood the situation, so that we could put uh, money into their accounts from donations. And we also uh, worked out a, uh, an agreement with one of the uh, tax organizations to collect taxes from them 
so that when they go to the ICE hearings, they could say, hey, we, we were working, but we paid taxes. We weren't working, you know, off the books and, uh, you know, doing anything to be bad people so that we could, uh, God forbid, get deported at some point. We, want, we, we, we impressed upon them very uh, clearly that it was important that if they worked to set some money aside to pay taxes so that it could be shown to the ICE judge that they were making an effort. Uh, so you could see how complicated uh, all of this was. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really touching the tip of the iceberg because there's also all the interactions between the people in our circle and these lovely families and also the uh, the neighborhood, the, the community that they moved into, the world. Right, right. And I want to ask you a little bit about that. Two questions. How will you know, you mentioned the two families that were vetted and brought in and and you've very, you know, deep in a very detailed and lovely way expressed all of the various moving parts to go into it, because I don't think we really have a true understanding of what it's like to help someone to resettle their life in a in a totally different country. But how does your organization or how will you know when your your time is done with these families? What is the what is the measure that you need uh, to meet in order to let you know that you know it's time to move on from them and let them fly and perhaps move on to another family? Well, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, there there are basically four steps to the process. Uh, the first is to welcome them into the new home and community and settle them. The second is to physically resettle them so that they have all the uh, things that they need for daily life. The third part is to uh, integrate them into our community and our society so that they could begin uh, traveling around, getting to medical appointments, getting to school, getting to camp, getting to work uh, independently. And then the fourth and final step is really independence. And uh, they're free agents. We sponsor them, but they basically are on their own from day one. I mean, there are stories about uh, circles like mine taking families in, and then a month or two later, the families leave the area. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they want to go to their family living in Chicago, or they want to leave to go to their family in Texas, or they want to go to Canada because they have a family member there. So they could do what they want from minute one. But we would like them to you know, go through the process with us so that they're uh, better integrated and assimilated to a degree. And we certainly respect their home culture, but, but we we understand that they need to they need to be Americanized, so to speak, to the point that um, they know what's what's up, and they're not going to get exploited or ripped off. And and the final step is independence. Now the families that we've been helping, uh, they may want to move to Queens, New York, where there's a very large Afghan community. Or they may want to move to uh, California where they have an uncle or, uh, you know, who knows? So that's really the that's really the process to get them to go to independence. And also very important 
for us not to get emotionally attached to the families. That's hard. Because it? It, it's really hard. It's really hard because we we really, you know, in a way, love them. Yeah. Uh, we, we've learned to love them and respect them and, and know the ins and outs of their family and their dynamics. And every time we go to their house, they, they want to feed us like crazy and <laughs> celebrate that we're there and they recognize how much we've helped them. So there's an attachment, but we also have to have a certain level of professionalism as sponsors, right? Just like a social worker mm -hmm. doesn't want to get attached to his client mm -hmm. or a special ed teacher doesn't want to get too attached to the students. Right. Uh, you you want to be able to uh, kiss them goodbye at the end of the term right. and mm -hmm. let them move on and be independent. And this is something that the training is really important to get. Uh, and uh, uh, some of us, myself included, had experience as uh, people in uh, humanitarian service. So we knew from a professional standpoint not to get too attached. And this is something that we had to, uh, you know, remind certain volunteers from time to time, don't get too attached. You know, these people are, these people are not your family. Mm -hmm. We, 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 uh, we respect them and we, we like them and, you know, we're friends with them, but, and we want to be friendly, but right. they're, they're not our, our own family that we can exercise any kind of agency or control over them. Right, right. I want to go back to uh, the families, in particular, the two families you, you brought up um, and kind of get an update as to how they've been able to utilize their skills, if at all. One family you said had a woman doctor and the other one had a woman uh, led business or a woman entrepreneur or business owner. Um, were those women able to plug in in any way to utilize the skills that they once utilized in their home country? Uh, really not, and not, at least not yet. Uh, the, uh, the traverse from Afghanistan to America is especially difficult for the women refugees for a couple of reasons. First off, most of the women uh, don't have the same English skills and westernization that the men had in Afghanistan. Mm. The women, even the professional women, were very cloistered and their English isn't as good. Their westernization isn't as good. They didn't know how to drive. They didn't have, they didn't drive in Afghanistan. The, the, uh, the women of the middle class or upper class actually had men drive them around. And uh, they they didn't have, uh, except for the very high professionals, they didn't have as much schooling as the men did. They didn't have as much exposure to the rest of the world. So the women were uh, at a disadvantage, at least the ones that we worked with who, who've come here. Uh, also, the woman doctor's credentials from Afghanistan are meaningless here. Right. You know, you have to start all over again. You'd have to go to... Uh, medical school and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Once you prove that your BA or your master's degree in Afghanistan is valid, and that's an expensive process that takes months as well. 
the other family that had uh, professional women in it, uh, those uh, experiences they had over there did not transfer over here at all. Uh, so, so they've had a they've had an especially hard time. One of the families, the women have uh, we recognized early on uh, that they can cook. Uh, they can cook like crazy. Uh, their food is excellent. It's it's exotic. It's healthy. And what they've done is they've had um, monthly uh, cookouts, so to speak, mm -hmm. where we've uh, we found a local church that has a community kitchen, a legal uh, insured community kitchen, because this can't be done out of somebody's house. Right. And uh, they've been cooking for the community and the community buys the dinners wow. uh, at least once a month. So that's a source of income, a source of pride for the women. Um, you know, some of us are not happy that they're going into this traditional role of mm -hmm. cooks as yeah. opposed to the medical career, but they, you know, they, they have to start uh, at the bottom, right. so to speak, right. so that they can at least earn an income. And right. then if they go on to choose to go into um, another field, et cetera, that's possible. One of the women expressed an interest, the woman who is the business owner has expressed an interest to get some credentials in cosmetology mm -hmm. so she could be a professional hairdresser here. Mm, okay. Just like the first immigrants who came to America mm -hmm. from Europe, let's say, or mm -hmm. from the you know Latin America or Africa, mm -hmm. they have to get scat work they have to get you know gig work first. they have to you have to feed themselves and their families i get that's it. right yeah. that's right and we have to respect that right. and then, then they will move on to the professional fields or get a trade and or the, and, and certainly their families if they choose to stay here their children will then you know move up the ladder so to speak and and they understand that that's not an easy thing for them to understand because back in Afghanistan, uh, these two families lived very well. Uh, most of the families who escaped this way, like I said, uh, actually did not work for the military. Mm -hmm. They did not work as translators. So they, so they, they wouldn't have qualified people. for the Afghan P2 program to, to even begin with. You know, that, that particular program that you mentioned is actually for artisans and um uh, student visas, and and actually they're even temporary. There are there are over thirty types of visas that the United States offers to refugees from other countries. Over thirty types, uh, and it depends on what country you're coming from, your port of entry, uh, your status, if you've been vetted. Uh, there are all sorts of criteria that determine what kind of visa you'll get. And even now, to get a visa into the United States, I mean, it, it's really difficult. In fact, right now, as of August, I think, 4th or 5th, mm -hmm. uh, there's a big battle going on in the court system between the Biden administration and the courts, which are saying uh, that the Biden administration has reverted to the Trump administration visa requirement that every asylee seeker, 
anybody who wants asylum has to apply for asylum in their home country. They can't just come from Afghanistan into Mexico and then come into America and ask for asylum in America, because that would be like coming in from a third country, Mexico. They'd have to apply from their home country. Now, if you just escaped from Afghanistan, you're not going back to Afghanistan to apply. Right. How do you apply in a, in a right. situation like that? Right. If you just escaped from Honduras or from Zambia or, or from Syria, you're not going back there to apply for a visa. Right. Uh, so if you're in Mexico or in Canada or in Jordan, your third country from your home country, the Biden administration has made it so that they don't want you to, uh, th that you, you have to go back to your home country to apply because they don't want a mad rush of millions of people coming to Mexico and then jumping over the border and creating this gigantic tidal wave of people coming in that way. So right now, that's that's a battle going on in the courts today. Well, two points before we end our discussion. Um, the reason why I brought up, I want to go back to this discussion you brought up about Biden administration's um, fight in the courts. But before we skip to that, I want to talk more about quickly about the professions, particularly of women, because there was a New York representative, John Katko, who helped to sponsor an act, Bridging the Gap for New Americans Act, that was supposed to help people in those spaces utilize their pre-existing trades, careers, and be able to more easily transfer them over to being able to work here in the United States. And I just wanna make sure I'm hearing you completely and hearing you correctly. Are you saying that if such a thing were to work, it wouldn't work for the people you serve because they didn't come in the same way as those folks on the military bases? Or what are your thoughts on this? Well, an, an act that, that was proposed to do that, to transfer uh, pre-existing uh, skills or credentials here would be an amazing and immense help to all refugees. Uh, so I don't know where that is in terms of the legislative process. But that would that would definitely be uh, an important an important step because that's a barrier that that we've met. Right, um, right. Well, let me just read to you the quote from Representative John Catco. What his thoughts are: Three years ago, this is his quote. Three years ago, I heard from Interfaith Works of Central New York about immigrants in our community who have valuable professional backgrounds but consistently experience underemployment or unemployment due to arbitrary barriers. This trend puts the American dream out of reach for countless families and has a detrimental impact on our economy, costing billions of dollars and unrealized wages each year. This bill will enable new Americans to fully utilize their skill sets and is especially important in the midst of nationwide workforce crisis. So, those were his thoughts. And just to be clear, it's for people up to the, on the path toward becoming American citizens and being able to work during the meantime. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on if you felt any of that uh, trickle down in the work that you do, because it looks like it's an act. Yeah. From 2022. So. Well, I don't know if it was ever enacted. 
but but what I what I do know is this: there are a lot faster and easier ways we can help uh, all refugees, but especially Afghans. One is that um, uh, many Afghans have come in, and many others they don't have social security cards, they don't have uh, work permits, they don't even have any kind of visas, and the line to get a visa is you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, people ahead of them. So they, they don't even have humanitarian parole. So they have, they have nothing. So uh, if, if people who are in the country and who are here like a year and vetted and don't break any laws, they should be given uh, work permits, social security cards uh, so that they can work legally. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to work uh, you know, uh, under the radar. The second thing is that, uh, like this battle going on in courts about right. asylum, right. well, there's a line right now of 800,000 people waiting to become, uh, get, get waiting to get asylum in wow. this country, including our two families. Mm-hmm. Now they don't they don't have asylum yet, which means that technically they could be deported. That there is no path to citizenship, and they're always in legal jeopardy. So mm-hmm. the the Biden administration has been doing a great job, but they need to put more people on the job to move that line faster so that people aren't waiting five, six, seven, eight years to get legal asylum. Uh, that's something that could be immediately done. And our families are in line to get asylum, but you know, who knows how long that's going to take them. So there are steps that can be done immediately. Give these people social security cards and work permits so that they can, you know, come out from under, you know, working in dark corners and being exploited and move the asylum process on so that they can have some kind of visas. Now, also in Congress, there's been this Afghan Adjustment Act that keeps uh, going through Congress, but the Republicans keep bouncing it out and it doesn't pass as a bill. It doesn't get passed as a bill so the president can sign it. The Afghan Adjustment Act would allow any Afghans who worked for the military or worked for American contractors or worked as translators to you know, be on a quicker path to right. asylum and citizenship. But even the Afghan Asylum, uh, sorry, Afghan Adjustment Act wouldn't help our particular families and the other 10,000 Afghans who came in, you know, from Mexico. And it doesn't help anybody, any other immigrants from any other countries. And as I said earlier, uh, it's very particularistic how, as to what country you come from, as to how the rules uh, work for you. Yeah, we found that to be the case, and that's really unfortunate. That's an, a whole discussion in of itself as to how that works. Uh, Har, before we close the show, I want to give you time and space to uh, share or give any last thoughts about the work you do uh, to anyone who may be listening, um, and e- even including and up to inviting them into this work. Is there anything that you have to say directly to people who may have a heart or skills that would help the people that you serve? Yeah, the the first thing I would suggest is 
to take a look at my circle's website uh, which is www.afghancirclehudsonvalley.org so it's www.afghancirclehudsonvalley.org uh, go on to that go through it check out the news pieces in there uh, etc uh, and there's also uh, a spot where somebody could send me an email and say, hey, Harv, how can I help? Or, you know, whatever you, you have, if you have a question, you could contact me right through that uh, website. Thing I would want people to know is you don't have to be special to do this, to do this work. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but anybody could do it. You can't do it alone. You need to create a circle. Uh, and there's a path to that now. The Biden administration has now created an entity through the State Department called the Welcome Corps. The Welcome Corps, C-O-R-P-S. All you have to do is Google Welcome Corps. They're inviting people to start circles so that you could take in uh, refugees. And it doesn't have to be from Afghanistan. In fact, they're pushing for Ukrainian refugees like crazy now. So you could Google Welcome Corps and go through the Welcome Corps training or get training through one of the other resettlement organizations as to how you put together a circle uh, so that you can you know, start thinking about bringing in refugees and resettling them in your town. Uh, it, it could be folks uh, that you know, friends and family. Uh, housing is the biggest challenge. Uh, money is a challenge. We we had all sorts of people not only give money donations, but in-kind donations. We got a car donated, a bicycles. We got all kinds of recreational th things donated for the family, clothing, furniture, uh, from businesses, from nonprofits. So those are in-kind donations. You could start beginning to collect baby furniture. Uh, one of the ladies gave birth recently. So we've gotten everything from the community. You could start uh, a resettlement, a little mini organization, uh, just just like we did. Uh, and, and, you know, we are uh, already in a year and a half in. I, I also want to mention... We connected our two families up with local mosques, which is uh, which is a really important thing uh, for them. Uh, these people are uh, Shia Muslim, and we we found places for them to get halal food, Islamic food, which is very important for them for their dietary laws, and go to the mosque for their uh, events, special events and holidays. And holy days, so it, it's been it's been a really wonderful experience for the people in my circle. Uh, we've had help from the local synagogues, the local churches, the local mosques, nonprofits, uh, and it, it's really been a wonderful experience. And we're glad that we've been able to to help people. One last thing I want to mention: uh, there are over three hundred circles, resettlement circles in the United States right now, at least 300. This is the biggest humanitarian effort 
in the United States run by citizens, not by the government, since the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad helped tens of thousands of enslaved people get to freedom, get to Canada. This is helping at least 100,000 Afghans really in a year and a half. And, And people from other countries as well are being resettled by these circles. So you could make a circle also. Uh, just you could contact me, contact the Welcome Corps, and uh, as we say, inshallah, uh, let it be God's will that uh, we all get this done. Amen. That's a wonderful thought, and it's really great to hear all of the different communities coming together. We hear about so much polarization, but there are people quietly working together to do good work. Thank you for joining me, Harv, and thanks to all of you for listening to this important discussion. Harv, I wish you continued success. And um, I hope that you also find space and time for yourself to stay rested uh, so that you can stay in this as long as you possibly can. This is definitely good work that you're doing. Thank you, Francine, for having me. And uh, please, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. For our listeners, as always, I want to encourage you, the audience, to continue discussing this very important topic within your communities and share your thoughts with us on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram feeds. Like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliad Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians and Pointcast News. To listen to our podcasts or to read our latest articles, you could visit our website at pointcast.news. Or you can subscribe to our feed at Apple Podcasts, but be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you join us next time.